The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? With regard to Chen's newsletter, now is the time, if you have not already done so, to put your name on the waiting list. Chen will, uh, is starting to ex- uh, accept new subscribers for this new quarter, uh, but you do need to have your name on a waiting list. That's not a guarantee that you will be accepted because it's on a first-come, first-served basis up to a set number of subscribers that Chen will accept. But uh, if you are interested in his excellent newsletter, I suggest you go to miningstocks.com right away, put your name on the waiting list, and there's a chance, a uh, pretty good chance, I think, at this time, if you move right away to be accepted uh, into uh, Chen's subscriber base. Uh, my subscription uh, to Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks is available uh, at any time at miningstocks.com. Uh, miningstocks.com or you can call our uh, phone number here in New York City during the regular work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. You can also, uh, I should say that uh, would like to encourage you to keep your questions for Taylor, um, keep your questions or comments regarding this show coming to questions for Taylor. That's questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do enjoy listening to all your comments. Uh, I read all of them and I'm very much interested in hearing what you have to say from time to time. We also like to talk about them or play them back for our subscri- for our listeners. So please keep those questions coming. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Nanostruck Technology, Caden Resources, Canamex Resources, Brazil Resources, and Metanor Resources. Well, we do have an awful lot of material to cover today, so let's get right to today's show. Today, Axel Merck will be visiting for the first time, uh, and after our first break, John Kaiser, stock picker um, uh, in the junior mining sector, will be with me as well to talk about a couple of his top picks. 
Even though I admit uh, my bias towards investing in gold and gold shares, I was amazed to see the results of Axel Merck's research that shows owning not just a little gold, but a large amount of gold in one's portfolio over the last 80 years has been extremely beneficial. Axel uh, has applied Markowitz Portfolio Diversification, or Modern Portfolio Theory, as all MBA students are aware, uh, in showing that by including gold in that portfolio with a portfolio of stocks, and then he also did a portfolio going back a number of years uh, that included bonds as well, that you could have done ex- much, much better by owning gold as a part of that portfolio of stocks and gold, and in one case, stocks and bonds. How much gold? Well, I was amazed to, to see that the results showed that upwards to 41% allocation to gold bullion and 59% allocation to the S&P 500. That sounds uh, outlandish and ridiculous to most people, I know, uh, but, the, uh, but, but certainly this risk-reward model, uh, efficient um, portfolio theory model, uh, the numbers don't lie. I mean, that's, uh, historically, that's, you would have done much better reducing risk and risk being defined as volatility of returns uh, and uh, reducing volatility and enhancing returns. So, uh, what's not to like about that? But in any event, Axel Merck will be with me at about a half past the hour today to talk about uh, the uh, about his studies primarily and uh, and give some ideas as to why gold is such an excellent uh, diversification tool in a uh, diversified portfolio. So Axel Merck will be with me then. Um, now Axel doesn't talk about gold mining shares in his portfolio. We might get him to uh, perhaps he'll do some research in that regard, and he'll come back and talk to us about it in the future. Uh, I personally believe that gold mining shares do extremely well during certain portions of a bull market in gold, like right now, for example, during the first number of days and weeks of of this new year, uh, gold is up less than 10%, but the gold mining shares in my uh, newsletters portfolio is up between 30 and 40%. So clearly gold shares are leading gold bullion thus far in 2014. Well, John Kaiser will be with me in just a few minutes after our first commercial break to talk a little bit uh, about a couple of his top picks. John is certainly one of the most, uh, one of the most accomplished and successful stock pickers in the junior mining sector. So we're really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. And before I forget, I want to remind you that immediately following this show today at 4 o'clock p.m., I will be interviewing Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, uh, and that will be aired exclusively at J. Taylor Media. That's jaytaylormedia.com. And then following that, uh, also with me will be David Jensen, who will talk about the decline of the petrodollar uh, and the evolution of the petrodollar to the petrol to petrol gold currency, uh, and this is a very interesting topic, I think, and a very apropos for the time, given the fact that uh, of the geopolitical conflicts that are taking place now. Clearly, as John Perkins has said on this show, and I think various other people, uh, like Jim Rickards and others, have talked about the importance of the United States retaining the privilege of printing money, printing dollars, using dollars to buy things around the world. Well, some people, some nations, are not all that happy about that. And clearly, I think a lot of the geopolitical tensions that are arising in the world today have a lot to do with this whole notion of the U.S. continuing to print dollars, using those dollars uh, to essentially take the goods away from other countries. And I believe that that's a big part of what uh, the Ukrainian conflict is all about. I think that uh, the Russians are saying enough already. NATO, you've taken enough of our turf and it's time for you to stop. That's my philosophy. There are other people that differ with that. 
Um, now, uh, before we get into the first commercial break, and John uh, Kaiser, uh, Gene Epstein is here, is here with me. Gene comes on the show every uh, the first Tuesday of every month to talk about the New York City Junto meetings that's coming up this Thursday, and New York City Junto at the General is held. Uh, at the General Society Library, 20 West 44th Street, between 5th and 6th Avenues. Uh, starts about 7.30, and then 8 o'clock is when the main speaker comes on. Uh, and so um, we, I'm really looking forward to this meeting, and uh, I'm really happy to have Gene with me. Welcome, Gene. Well, thanks. Uh, good to be back. Gene, uh, we, we just have a very short amount of time today, but I want to ask you, first of all, tell our listeners who the main speaker is and what's he going to talk about at the New York City Junto this well, coming Thursday. Well, apropos of what you've been talking about, which is quite intriguing, uh, we're having a slight change of pace. It's uh, Donald Smith, uh, whom I know and uh, probably you know, Jay, as a libertarian uh, philanthropist. Uh, he actually pays for all the Students for Liberty conferences, for example. Mm. But uh, I've been told by Mark Skousen, who runs Freedom Fest and is also an investment advisor, that he's the most is that Don Smith is the most astute investor he's ever met. Don hmm. is, I asked Don to lecture on the secrets of deep value investing. Uh, that's even better than deep dish ice cream, I gather. De- uh, deep dish, <laughs> deep, uh, deep value investing. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, Don has prepared a slideshow and uh, we're going to see what he has to say. Wonderful. Well, I really look forward to it. So the New York City Junto many times is more theoretical. Uh, it, it talks about economics and politics and things like that. It's an excellent forum. It's always exciting. Gene, you do such a great job of running that, I think, and, and inducing a conversation, both pro and con, to the speaker. So I'd encourage people to go there. They can participate, be very much involved with it. I know that you've given some thought also, Gene, uh, to a hot topic of, of the day, speaking of investing and efficient markets, as we have been speaking uh, Michael Lewis went on 60 Minutes this last weekend and uh, talking about a rigged stock market. Give us your ideas about uh, Michael Lewis's uh, theory or thesis that the, that the equity markets are rigged. Well, you know, in a nutshell, the, uh, it's, it, Michael Lewis has written some interesting books that uh, he never quite puts in, uh, in a free market context. In this particular case, uh, his book is actually about uh, a free market solution uh, that that deals with what is the supposed threat from high frequency traders that high frequency traders front run your trade but mm-hmm. Michael Lewis promotes a new exchange that prevents this sort of front running and if Michael Lewis is right, which he well may be let 's assume he 's right about all of it, then he has pointed out that we don 't need regulation we the free market can develop responses to this mm-hmm. kind of thing. This is a new exchange that's apparently being backed by Goldman Sachs. And if a lot of people read Michael Lewis's book and, and are persuaded by it, they'll ask their broker, as will institutions, to send their trades to this new exchange called the IEX. Wow, that's, uh, that would be great. You know, in fact, of course, if uh, Michael Lewis is right, this rig- uh, rigging of the markets has come mm-hmm. about in spite of government regulation, right? 
So it hasn't been very effective if he's right. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, it's it's not. It's even more than in spite of government regulation. Really, uh, the the SEC has waged war over the last twenty twenty five years on the way stock the stock market used to trade. Specifically, called for changes. Was always in love with computerized changes or exchange. Always felt that human hands were impossible. And so, really, I lay uh, if, if if the high frequency traders are a problem. It's a complicated argument, but I lay it to the floor of the aggressive intervention of the SEC in the financial markets. Very interesting thoughts, uh, Gene, for sure. Uh, certainly counter to what we're going to be hearing from uh, from the mainstream, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and there are those uh, in our camp, in the free market camp, that aren't so sure uh, that Michael Lewis is right. But then again, I guess uh, you probably will keep your eyes on that subject, no doubt. Well, if you, he's uh, right, if he's right, send your send your trades to the Lewis, to the exchange that Michael Lewis endorses. Uh, uh-huh. uh, the, the, it, it's a trading market. We can all disagree. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and my, Michael Lewis has pointed out inadvertently that you don't need regulation in any case uh, to solve this problem. Well, that would be uh, that that would be my philosophical approach. That would be my philosophical desire for sure, Gene. Uh, that that's for sure. But clearly, if what he's right, if he's if he's saying is right, uh, is that uh, is that when you put in a trade, there are people out there that are that are picking up on that trade before you do, and they're putting their order in ahead of yours. Mm-hmm. You go in and buy it at a higher price, and then they sell it back to you and, and make a quick the, profit yes. in a, in a millisecond. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and and very small amount. Very small margins, but huge numbers, huge amounts of volume that make them uh, that really pick the pockets of in, of individuals over a long over a long period of time and make that's the claim. But the new ex- yeah. but the new exchange that he talks about was set up specifically to prevent that to make it yeah. impossible for the high frequency traders to front run you. It uh, they developed software. They developed a long uh, a way in which those 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 high frequency trades are going to be foiled if you go to this new exchange and. Yeah. It may not be the perfect model, but may, but probably others will build on it because it was well, built by pretty adroit traders. Yeah, well, one very interesting aspect of the whole issue is that this individual, not with funding from government, but mm-hmm. from his own intuition as a trader, mm-hmm. discovered this uh, this this uh, uh, obviously this um, criminal activity, if it's true. Uh, and uh, and disclosed it to the markets. So yeah, free free markets do work. Gene, you and I know that for sure. Uh, and I draw, uh, I draw an analogy with the deplorable fact that there are many companies whose, whose whose stock price tends to be inflated because the price is hyped by brokers and hyped by management. And uh, the solution to that is short sellers and barons because barons likes to pick off overpriced stocks. That's the market solution to overpriced stocks, not regulation. Well, that's a shameless plug for your uh, for your newspaper, Absolutely. Gene, and, and and God bless you for it because I think it's an excellent newspaper. And we didn't mention that Gene Epstein writes uh, every week for Barron. So, unfortunately, Gene, we're out of time. We could go on and on for you for hours, no doubt about that. But we'll look to talk to you, and I look forward to seeing you this Thursday at the New York City Junto. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks. Bye bye. Folks, don't go away because coming right up will be uh, John Kaiser, and uh, he'll talk to us about a couple of his. Uh, top picks in the junior mining sector and and the kind of stocks he's looking to buy uh, in this market environment. So we'll be right back with John Kaiser.
Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Amir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. As the bull market in gold resumes, gold shares will explode to much higher levels, and those companies that are ramping up production will take off first. Metanor Resources, symbol MTO in Canada and MEAOF in the U.S., is now in commercial production and producing over 4,500 ounces of gold per month from its bachelor mine in Quebec. With seven drills turning, I look for the company's gold resource to grow dramatically on both its bachelor and berry projects. I believe Metanor now offers major upside potential for savvy investors. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE Market Listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE Listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for a second time John Kaiser. He's an independent analyst based in San Francisco, and he's covered the junior resource sector for quite a few years. John uh, is a friend of mine. I meet up with him at a lot of the conferences, been on panel discussions occasionally with him, and uh, I have a very high uh, level of respect for John and the integrity of his work. So it's really good to have you with me again, John. Jay, it's great to be on your show. Really good to have you. you. Always have a lot of unique ideas. You know, I like people that come up with new ideas, not rehash things that everybody else is talking about. You are an independent thinker for sure, and uh, and come up with ideas that are challenging. God knows you and I don't agree on a lot of things, but it certainly is always a lot of fun, especially over a beer or two. I suppose to talk to you about things, we have a lot of fun. But let's talk about your focus on the junior mining sector. How are you dealing in the precious? You know, precious metals are a big part of what you do. I've known of you many years. You. you 
you were an expert in the diamond exploration industry, for example, uh, and, and other metals as well. But, of course, the precious metals sector is really probably the most concentrated uh, sector within the junior mining sector, I would say. How are you dealing with the precious metals sector right now, John, given the, the sort of travails that we've had over the last couple of years? Well, Gold seems to be range-bound between $1,200 and $1,400. I don't believe all these predictions of gold going below $1,200 have any anything but perhaps a, a short-term dip possibility. But mm-hmm. $1,200 to $1,400 is kind of frustrating because at that level, we are kind of where we are. We're in 1980 when gold went to $400, inflation-adjusted Gold should be at $1,100 today. So after 30 years of new mine supply, uh, uh, we do not have much low-hanging fruit left to harvest. What we really need is gold to go above 1500 in real price terms, such as we had before the smackdown last year. But that's not going to happen right now. And my main focus is the resource exploration and development juniors, where gold, of course, is a very big thing. So I've developed a, a three-point strategy for uh, uh, picking juniors that can do well in the current $1,200 to $1,400 range, but do really, really well if we do get that move back above $1,500. Mm-hmm. All right, so what is that strategy? Well, the first is look for companies that are advanced uh, gold companies working on, say, pre-feasibility study, mm-hmm. where they have the ounces in the ground, and they have a chance of demonstrating that their mine would be profitable at 1200 to $1,400. Mm-hmm. We know that in the past a couple of years, a lot of economic studies were done with $1,400 gold as a base case price, and those are all dead in the water. One mm-hmm. company that I, that, that I like, and it's an open recommendation, is Midas Gold Corp. They have a project in Idaho which would produce 4.9 million ounces of gold over a 15-year period. It's in an area that used to be a, a mining area. It's a bit of an environmental mess. Idaho is not particularly keen about permitting uh, mines. However, putting this into production not only would clean up legacy mess, but it would also bring on stream a critical metal as a byproduct called antimony. And China's the biggest supplier of antimony. And the way things are going over there, uh, it would be nice to permit a mine, a gold mine, that also has antimony as a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Have they done some economic studies on that, John, yet? They did a preliminary economic assessment in 2012. They are now working on a pre-feasibility study, which is a, uh, a much lower error of margin. It's expected mm-hmm. to be out uh, in the middle of the year sometime. Uh, it's received substantial funding. Franco Nevada bought a uh, uh, 1.5%, 1.7% NSR for, for $15 million. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's quite, it's a quite high profile, probably the biggest, uh, gold deposit in the United States that a junior is in the process of developing right now. Mm-hmm. How much does the antimony come into the economics? Is it a very significant credit to the gold production? It's significant enough to make a difference of 15, 15, 20 percent. It's only part of the deposit that has mm-hmm. the enriched antimony zone. But the important stuff about it is it gives the regulators pause to think uh, well, maybe we don't need another gold mine in America, but we do need antimony because we produce zero antimony, and the amount of antimony this could produce would uh, replace all of America's input import needs. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you're you're sounding very logical. We can only hope uh, that our that our political leaders, our policymakers, are equally logical, John. So uh, let's 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 keep our fingers crossed on that one. Any other ideas uh, among these uh, companies that can make money in the twelve to fourteen hundred dollar price range? Well, a a smaller scale version is Clifton Star and his Du Parquette project in Quebec. Now, this like the. Uh, Golden Meadows Project of Midas is also a refractory system that was mined in the past, and they put out a PEA uh, a year and a half ago, which was not, which was done at a higher gold price, which is not economic at say the current gold price. But what they've done is rolled up their sleeves and they've read, uh, optimized uh, all their mining plan and so on, and will any any day now publish an updated. Or, or, or a pre-feasibility study, again, a, a higher, a lower level of margin of mm-hmm. error. And uh, this one, would, I'm hoping to see positive cash flow potential at $1,300 gold. And this one is more leveraged to higher gold prices than the case of uh, Midas Gold, which I think will, if they confirm the PEA numbers, they are very robust at uh, $1,300 gold. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, you know, just yesterday I was speaking to a hedge fund manager in New York here who really likes the more leveraged plays because he's, well, he's very bullish on gold. So, you know, obviously if you can get past that strike price, so to speak, and, and higher, the, uh, the returns can be very high. I might just mention earlier today, John, I, I noticed that Midas was selling at about 90 cents Canadian. Here's 141.7 million shares outstanding, if, if my numbers are correct. Uh, just to put it in perspective, in the symbol, uh, in Toronto is MAX in the U.S. It's MDRPF. That's for Midas Gold Corp. Clifton Star, uh, CFO is a symbol in Toronto. And the United States, you can buy it as I have under the symbol CFMSF. 29 cents, John. Uh, so these are with only 30, uh, 38.7 million shares outstanding, something like that. So really a micro-cap stock, Clifton. Yeah, and in the case of Clifton Star, the market's saying, nope, they're not going to make it. So mm-hmm. you're, you're speculating on both that the PFS will be positive and, of course, that we will see stronger gold prices, whereas Midas is a much more widely followed stock where people say, okay, at worst case, the PFS confirms what we already know, and then the stock will grind up to a couple dollars or so, and then if gold does go significantly higher, then we will get the bigger, a bigger bang for our dollar, provided the permitting does not turn into a permanent obstacle. Right. And one more I know that you like a lot is probe mines. Uh, PRB on the Toronto Exchange, PROBF in the United States. I looked at this, John, earlier in the day. It's trading at $3.22, 75.8 million shares outstanding, $244 million market cap. So it's, uh, it's, it's a little bigger than some of them that we follow. They're developing the Borden Gold property, I think it is, in Ontario. Talk to us about that, why you like that one. Uh, Probe is an example of a grassroots gold discovery made several years ago that delivered 4 million ounces that were at one gram per ton gold. They were going to turn it into an open pit mine. And uh, if that was the uh, all they had right now, the stock would be at 30, 40 cents. However, mm-hmm. in late 2012, they discovered a high-grade zone extending from the low-grade zone. And mm-hmm. they have spent the last year and a half drilling off this zone. We should get a resource estimate. It'll be uh, five to ten times the grade. It'll be underground mine. And my own ballpark estimates, as we can see, based on a fairly consistent zone, a one to two million ounce system emerging somewhere between 
3 and 7 grams per ton. And this is new for this area. The stock is at the current levels because of speculation that what they are following will get bigger and better as they follow it down plunge. So this is an example where you get, if gold goes back about $1,500, those 4 million ounces at 1 gram per ton that are worthless right now at $1,300 gold, they suddenly become very valuable. But at the current prices, probably even at lower prices, the underground resource that they are developing would be valuable to be developed as a mine right now. So you get the best of both worlds, and you get the third option, which is what if this turns out to be more than a couple million ounces of high-grade gold? Uh, What Mm -hmm. if this turns out to be 5 million-plus ounces? And the whole geological context is such that one can flash back 30 years to the Hemlo discovery, which was also made in an area where there was patchy gold known, but nobody believed that it was possible for a 20-million-ounce high-grade system to be possible. Yeah, I remember it well, John. Thank you very much. You know, my engineer is telling me we were just just about out of time, but I, I want to tell our listeners, uh, is the best place to go, John, to follow your work, uh, the KaiserBottomFish.com? Or, or, or KaiserResearch.com, KaiserBottomFish.com works also. They're both the same site. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your ideas, John. I, I like all three of those stocks myself. Uh, I want to thank you very much for sharing your, your ideas with our listeners. It's been a pleasure, Jay. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next, Axel Merck will be here to talk about why you would have done well to have not just a little gold, but a lot of gold in your portfolio, not over the last few years, but over the last 80 years since the Roosevelt days. So don't go away. I'll be right back with Axel Merck. Attention mining investors, Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. As the bull market in gold resumes, gold shares will explode to much higher levels, and those companies that are ramping up production will take off first. Metanor Resources, symbol MTO in Canada and MEAOF in the U.S., is now in commercial production and producing over 4,500 ounces of gold per month from its bachelor mine in Quebec. With seven drills turning, I look for the company's gold resource to grow dramatically on both its bachelor and berry projects. I believe Metanor now offers major upside potential for savvy investors. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Moreno Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. 
NYSE Market Listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE Listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Axel Merck. Axel is the president and CIO of Merck Investments, manager of the Merck Funds, uh, which he founded in Switzerland in 1994 by pooling the investments he had been managing for his friends starting in college. He then relocated uh, the firm to California in 2001 as, a, as, as an SEC registered investment advisor. Merck uh, is an expert on macro trends as well as innovator uh, as well as an innovator in gold and currency investing. He is sought after uh, very much a sought after speaker. I must say I've heard him many times on uh, Bloomberg here in New York City. He's He's a contributor and author, and he's written uh, a book called Sustainable Wealth. It describes how the greater economic universe works, how it might affect, uh, and how it and how to manage your finances to seek financial stability. And Axel holds a BA in economics um, and a master's in uh, science and computer science from Brown University. So welcome. Uh, Axel, it's really good to have you with me for the first time. I, I, as I mentioned, I have listened to you talk, I think, with Kathleen Hayes and other people on Bloomberg Radio. It's good to have you on Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Oh, it's it's great to be with you. And if I can help turning hard times into good times, then then all the better. Well, we want to do that because uh, we certainly, I think a lot of Americans are having hard times these days. Uh, the middle class and so forth is having a, a difficult time of it. So perhaps you can you can help us out. We're hoping so. Uh, before we get started, just tell our listeners just a little bit more. You you manage funds. Is it open to the public, or are these uh, hedge funds, private funds? What are uh, what does your firm do? Sure. Well, we are all U.S. based company these days, and we manage um, mutual funds, and uh, we have over twenty thousand beneficial owners, so they're open to the general public. Investment advisors use them. We have a, a currency focus and also a bit of a gold focus in some of those funds. Wonderful. Okay. Good. So people can go to your. Uh, to the website. Tell our listeners before we go any further that website. I should have had it jotted down. I've been there, but what is it? Sure. Come to MerckInvestments.com or MerckFunds.com, and we have lots of information about the things we, we talk about now. I'm also on Twitter if you want to get up-to-date information on my views. Um, but um, let's let's get started and, and yeah, helping, let's, helping folks to turn bad times into good times. Yeah, let's get going on that. Uh, the topic, as, as I would like to talk to you today, uh, is the topic that you just put out uh, you put out a white paper called "The Case for Gold in the Optimization of Portfolio uh, a Portfolio Alloc- Allocation," and uh, we're looking at something that uh, all MBA students are very well aware with, uh, called modern portfolio theory. Tell our listeners what that is. 
Well, sure. It's a, it's a theory that um, given a couple of different assets gives you the quote-unquote optimal mix. Now, it's based on, on mathematics. It's based on historic performance, meaning perfect hindsight, and with that has plenty of critics. But the short of it is that um, the, the argument is that if you have uh, two things you can invest in and you expect both of them to do well, well, if you mix them together, then you might be able to enhance your returns and reduce your volatility. So it's, it's really um, economics 101. Um, the, the devil is usually in the detail, mm-hmm. but we have applied that, that notion onto the gold market and said, well, what about if you put some gold into your portfolio and mm-hmm. I'll do that to, to share some of my findings with you? Well, indeed, I, I find it gratifying because it, it sort of supports my gold bug-itis, I would say. You know, I've, I've, I'm very much a gold bug. I believe in gold as money. I would like to see it that way, and those people that listen to this show know that very well. But let's get right into it. Uh, you, uh, you put together several portfolios, one 10 years and one going back to 1971 when Nixon took us off the International Gold Standard, and then 1934 when Roosevelt made it illegal to own gold in the United States. And I think those are very logical time frames to, uh, to look at it. And if you go back a long ways, of course, that gives you more data points and, and your confidence level can grow more than if you just did it for a short period of time. But the first portfolio you put together goes back 10 years, and it only includes, though, the S&P. Why did you not include bonds with that portfolio? Well, part of it is, is just for consistency for, for the different examples we are showing. And, uh, and indeed, um, anything that has positive returns and is not correlated to something else might add value. But to just kind of let the cat out of the bag, I mean, the result we came up with was rather stunning. It said that we should have 68% in gold and 32% allocated to the S&P over the past 10 years. Now, we're not giving investment advice here. That's what the numbers of this quote-unquote optimal portfolio shows, and you're right, that we included bonds or potentially some other assets that have had positive returns over these years, the gold portion might have been lower, significantly lower maybe, but it also shows the reason why we have such a, a high allocation to gold is because gold is is not very correlated with the S&P, mm-hmm. and, and in some ways, as painful as it was last year with gold plunging as much as it did, well, it performed its job. It was a diversifier. The S&P mm-hmm. went up and, and gold went down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important to note. I think that's one of the things that probably the reason uh, your model is uh, is allocating so much gold is because it is negative. Would you say it's negatively correlated or very low correlation to the markets? Well, um, to the one of the markets. things we do, I, I indicated earlier, we, 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 we very much focus on currencies aside from precious metals. Mm-hmm. And, and these correlations are morphing around. And so not on any one day can you predict, oh, the market goes up, therefore gold goes down, yes. and vice versa. And, and anybody who's followed these markets knows that very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these things move around a little bit. The correlations are moving around. And ideally, you would like to have them negatively correlated or at least have a very low correlation. Um, it doesn't work that way every single day. But over low, longer periods, these, these returns are very, very low. And mm-hmm. the one thing I'd like to just say maybe in addition is that um, some people love gold, some people hate gold, um, and any price if right now with, with gold is where it is, people say, yes, but it's completely overvalued or it's completely undervalued. Well, the point is it, it used to be $35 an ounce. It used to be uh, much less so in, in the early part of the 20th century. In, in 1914, for example, it was at $19 an ounce. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you can still buy a suit for an ounce of gold as you could then, as you can do now, um, with your U.S. dollar, you can't do as much. And if you invested all your money in S&P, 
he also had quite a wild ride over those years. Um, and you can always argue that um, S&P always goes up, or gold always goes up. Well, neither is really the case. Uh, they all are driven by certain dynamics. Gold just happens to be a very pure indicator of what we call the monetary mania out there. But it does make a case that for 100 years, uh, it has done reasonably well. If you think we're going to have a Federal Reserve that's going to be extremely hawkish, push up um, real interest rates, uh, maybe gold is going to go down. But um, if history is any guide, the printing presses are alive and well. Uh, indeed, they are. Now, uh, just to be clear for our listeners, I think one aspect of modern portfolio theory uh, is not just the returns, but it's also the risk. So we're looking for an optimization of risk and rewards, right? I mean, it's, it's the two things are combined in the equation. That, that's absolutely right. And, and there are a couple of things to be said. The S&P, there are periods when the volatility is very low. And last year, such an example. In fact, complacency, as expressed in, in the VIX index, the volatility index is to us a great bubble indicator. When complacency is high, a lot of money is going into an asset or asset class that has no business being there. And so when volatility is low, we get a little spooked. Over the 10-year horizon, it turns out gold was a tad less volatile than the S&P. If you go back to 1971, um, the gold was more volatile than the S&P, and that's kind of how it should be. And if you go back all the way to 1934, um, it was about equal. Keep in mind, though, that gold wasn't exactly a free-flowing asset at the time because the government set the price of gold, and so that, that distorts the, the historic volatility of gold a little bit if you look at some of those numbers, and, of course, then also um, disturbs our, uh, these, these models a little bit. Okay, so as you mentioned, you, the 10-year trial, the 10-year portfolio, had 68% allocated to gold, 32% to the S&P 500. You had, uh, as I look at your chart here, if you had just had gold, you, you'd have got a, you would have gotten a higher return. You have a 12.84% return compared to a 7.16 for the S&P 500. Now, we know this last 10 years not been all that great for the, uh, for the, for the equity market since, uh, since 2000 and, and and, and since Lehman Brothers, of course, uh, but you're, but then when you pull together the two, a 32 percent in the S and P and 68 in gold, you have an 11.28 percent return. But what you're saying is better not to have all your eggs in the gold basket here. Better to have the mix, uh, even though you get a lower return, and that's I guess because you have less risk. Risk is defined, I believe, Axel, as variation of returns, right? Volatility. Exactly. So the only thing this does is then a deviation of returns. Some people have a problem with that, of course, because that's not very good at capturing tail events. And then again, this is just a model, and I don't want to um, kind of bore everybody with, with the details, details too much. You did mention kind of why didn't we use bonds. Well, we did run the numbers with the bond portfolio as well. So if you take what's called a 60-40 portfolio, um, meaning 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and then mix that portfolio with a gold portfolio, then over the last 10 years, we would have come up with a 42% and gold allocation. So still very, very high. Now you can argue and track this up. Well, this was a period where gold did phenomenally well and, and it's not going to happen going forward. Well, if we take longer term horizons, if we go back to 1971, it still suggests, um, if you just take gold and the S&P, a 29% allocation to gold. If you go back to 1934, we're suggesting a 41% allocation to gold. So these are all allocations that are dramatically higher than what you hear on Main Street. And again, we're not giving an investment recommendation here because this is based on perfect hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think that gold is going to go up over, over time, there is a case to be made that one adds gold to a portfolio, and notably that one looks for things that don't have a high correlation to the S&P. 
S&P, especially in an environment where assets are so highly correlated because you're not, they're not reflecting fundamentals. They're reflecting just the next perceived intervention of policymakers. Yeah, uh, you're talking about the, uh, the balance portfolio and that when you had 60% in gold and 40% in stocks, uh, and then you add gold to the equation, um, that is the balanced portion of that portfolio was 60-40 in favor of stocks over gold. And then you had 42% allocation in gold. And that portfolio gave you a 9.87% return over the last 10 years. You would have gotten a 12.84 in gold and a 6.72 in, uh, in uh, your, your uh, balanced portfolio. But again, I guess the idea here is that your risk has been lowered. Obviously, you don't want to have everything in gold, but it's, it's amazing, Axel, that you get a 42% allocation, as you say. The mainstream isn't thinking anything like that. If anything, you know, I hear people talking about 5% maybe. Well, I mean, ultimately, without boring people too much with the details, by the way, there's a white paper available on our website at merkinvestments.com where you can look at these, these numbers. In, yes, that would be in, good. In, in, in your quiet living room here. Um, but the, the, the main thing about risk is it's not so much whether you standard deviation or some other fancy metrics. The key thing is are you able to sleep at night with the sort of risk that you're taking? Mm-hmm. Um, and are you able to afford to lose money on your investment? So to take, for example, the end of 2008, many people said, oh, you've got to double down here because the market is going to go back up. Well, that may be the case, but if you lost half of your net worth in 2008 and you didn't take chips off the table when you should have, odds are you can afford to take less of a risk. And so it is simply the prudent thing to be more cautious, even if mathematically it's the right thing. And by the way, one of the main criticisms of these models rightfully is that um, this includes the, the wild swings we had going up in 1980 and then plunging back down in 20-year bear market. Sure. This model does not include a yearly rebalancing. So you've got to sit out your initial allocation from the early 1970s. Rarely anybody will do that in practice. Um, so the takeaway really is diversification matters. And gold, if you believe gold is going to go up in the medium to long term, gold has shown to be a very good diversifier. Axel, you did only 10 years with your balanced portfolio, including gold along with it. Uh, Have you run numbers going back further with bonds included? Well, the, the challenge, one of the challenges is, is, is data availability. If you mm-hmm. just take, for example, even the S&P, the S&P 500 index um, didn't exist in, in 1934. So right. you've got to rely on, um, on other pieces of information to construct those things. And to show you how, how misleading some of the numbers are that you see published, the Wall Street Journal at the end of the last year um, suggested that the annual return of the S&P 500 was um, 5.5% since 1927. Um, and we come up with a return that's almost double that of the S&P, well, the Wall Street Journal forgot to include dividends. And, <laughs> and so you've got to look at the data sources and the sort of things you do. And, and, while, uh, and so we are, we're not trying to make gold look better than it is. Um, and uh, the Wall Street Journal, that often has a bias against gold, forgot to do it. Now, they didn't compare it to <laughs> gold in this case. But, yeah. but you've got to look at the data. And, and one of the reasons we, we try to keep it simple, because you can't just construct these, these bond indices and, and come up with them what, what something should have looked like in the 1930s. You know, I, uh, I read a book some time ago by Michael B. O'Higgins called Beating the Dow with Bonds. 
and it was it was absolutely amazing from 1980 on when interest rates peaked and then they came you know we've had this huge bull market in the bond market for so long uh, he really demonstrated where you could have made an awful lot more money in the bond market than in the stock market. And, of course, that, that really amazed me because stocks are, what uh, I guess, what Wall Street likes to sell for the most part. But, of but, course, what, what happens, of course, is it breeds complacency. Mm-hmm. Um, in, if you invest in bonds, and especially in longer-dated treasury bonds, that is historically a, a wild place. But in recent years, until a year ago, it appeared to be very quiet. It's, again, this complacency to us, a great bubble indicator. That means money is chasing yield, is chasing an asset, um, and they're not fully appreciative of the risk. And that means when this risk comes back out, um, as it happened years ago, everybody runs for the same small exit. And that's how you set yourself up for some problems. And so when you have periods where, where investing in bonds is the best thing since sliced bread, well, that's when we get concerned. It's difficult to time a peak with that uh, philosophy, but if, if you want to play it safe, you want to take chips off the table when everybody else thinks uh, an investment is great and, and that happened to bonds. Do you, to what extent do you use efficient uh, market strategies uh, or modern portfolio theory in your, uh, your decision-making, your allocation in your portfolios, Axel? Well, what we do is uh, we, we try to go many steps beyond that because the, 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 the core model has, has many deficiencies. But sure. What, what we do look at, we look at how correlations are morphing across asset classes. Ideally, we'd like to predict those. To give you an example, we published a piece called Draghi's Genius in, on August 2012, mm-hmm. most unpopular at the time, but we predicted that correlations would be changing. And in fact, Draghi, the head of the ECB, single-handedly changed that the, the way the world operated because we moved away from this pendulum swinging with risk on versus risk off that suddenly people have to think again um, because all the risky assets were expensive and so forth. The mm-hmm. other thing we do, and, and by the way, correlations are a key ingredient here to, to, to the model. Mm-hmm. The other thing we do is we, we look at volatility on a far more sensitive way. There are many metrics and measures of volatility. Not all of them are historic. And so especially we have some more tactical strategies. Uh, we can capture the, the risk sentiment um, across asset classes, across currencies, and, and, in, and also uh, precious metals. On, on, on a very, very short-term basis. And, and so we look at those sort of things. And so there are some, some, um, some takeaways from these theories that are well taken, but you can't just plug in numbers in there and say, hey, I'm going to put in um, 60 80% into a one asset, be that gold, be that the S&P. You may want to do so because you're convinced that asset is going to go through the roof. But simply relying on, on a static historic analysis is, is usually going to be prone to some trouble going forward. Yeah, the world certainly does change, but I would, uh, I think it's amazing uh, that you gotten such such great strong results for gold uh, going back, you know, going all the way back to 1934. And uh, I, I, I just, I was really surprised. Uh, even even my bias towards gold, uh, I was surprised uh, in seeing the results of your study. Um, yeah, so you have you know a lot of other asset categories, classes that we didn't talk about. You've got commodities, you've got currencies. You do a lot with currencies. Do you see gold as a currency? 
Well, it's the ultimate hot currency, of course. Um, if you if you call it a currency, and yes, we do call it a currency, um, it is it's more difficult to inflate the supply of gold. You can increase mining, of, of course. And gold is historically more volatile than currencies. Currencies have a reputation of being volatile, but when the euro moves a full cent on a percentage basis, it's not much. Um, and 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 of of course, these days, the reason why people um, look at things outside of the dollar is because they're worried about the purchasing power of the dollar. And, and by the way, the, the the modern portfolio theory assumes as one ingredient a risk-free asset. And when you ask me, do we use modern portfolio theory? Well, there is no such thing anymore as a risk-free asset. Mm-hmm. Cash is risky because your purchasing power is at risk. Now, you can use a more generalized approach, and, and we do that, to that, but we would encourage anybody out there that if nothing else, don't treat cash as risk-free. Uh, the, the problem with that, of course, is there's no place to hide. We're moving to an environment that's ever less stable, and if you're sophisticated, you can deal with that. It doesn't mean you have to become a day trader, but you've got to spread your eggs around and uh, be that to a basket of currencies, be that to gold, or be that to anything else, but there is, there is no such thing as a safe haven anymore. Yeah, given the uh, gold is taking quite a hit, I would imagine if you're bullish on gold, it would make sense now if you don't have some gold in your portfolio to consider doing so, whether it needs to be uh, the kind of ratios that you're talking about, I, I would suggest that's probably not a wise thing. But uh, but certainly, Axel, it's really interesting, uh, the case for gold, and people can go to the Merck Investments uh, website and and uh, and download that and read it. And I would highly recommend that our listeners do that because it's uh, it will explain uh, it, it will explain the methodology to uh, to the extent you need to understand it. And certainly, uh, you don't have to be a mathematician to understand the concepts of of what the mathematics do for you in terms of uh, limiting risk for any any particular return that you're seeking and uh, and then it provides an optimal position along that frontier as well uh, Axel um, uh, just um, want to ask you then are you uh, are you you yourself uh, bullish on gold now Yes, um, we we are, as I indicated, one of the things we look at on a shorter-term basis is complacency. And when there's fear in the market, mm-hmm. that applies to the precious metals market as well, we, we tend to be buyers. Mm-hmm. And so last year, when, when gold dropped substantially, we increased our holdings. Mm-hmm. Um, when everybody piles in and everybody thinks gold is going through the roof, we are still bullish maybe on gold long-term, but we might be paring down our exposure. And the reason, by the way, we are go- bullish on gold is because we have too much debt in the world. And that, and culturally different countries around the world will treat those debt problems differently, mm-hmm. but in the U.S., we have one of the better printing presses, and I just don't see how we can ever come up with this political compromise to, to come up with entitlement reform to make our deficit sustainable, and in that sort of environment, we kick the can down the road. We might be better than other countries in doing so, but something is going to give along the way, and we think the dollar is at risk in that process, and that is one of the key reasons why we think gold over the next 10 years is going to be one of the better investments and bonds are going to be one of the, the worst investments. Well, I, I definitely, uh, I, I certainly agree with that uh, as well. I guess uh, the question is knowing, you know, how to quantify that, I, I, um, and, and I suppose your models help. I want to thank you very much, uh, Axel, for being with us today. It really is a pleasure talking to you personally and uh, getting you on my radio show. It's, uh, you have a lot of great ideas, a lot of great insights, and it's uh, Merck Investments. Folks, you can go there, go to the website, avail yourself to the, uh, a lot of information, a lot of very good advice there, uh, and you might want to even consider uh, investing in one of the public funds that are there. Thank you very much, Axel, for being with us today. Look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you. Well, that is about all the time we have for this week. I truly believe Axel Merck has certainly demonstrated that gold bugs are not the crazy people they are made out to be. Axel's work has demonstrated the wisdom of owning gold, and not just a little gold, but a lot, uh, in terms of enhancing long-term portfolio performance. I do hope you will go to Axel's website and avail yourself to the valuable information posted there, starting with his white paper on how gold enhances returns and reduces risks in your portfolio. It was certainly good also to hear from John Kaiser and uh, some of his ideas uh, about some outstanding junior gold, uh, junior gold share opportunities. And as always, it uh, was good to check in with Gene Epstein, who is a regular columnist for Barron's and who heads up the monthly New York City Junto meetings. I do hope those of you who are in the New York metropolitan area will stop in at the next meeting on Thursday at about 7.30. Uh, 8 o'clock is when the main speaker gets underway. And that's at the General Society Library, 20 West 44th Street, and that's between 5th and 6th Avenues in New York City. It's very close to Grand Central Terminal, so fairly convenient location. The speaker this coming Thursday will be uh, Investment Advisor Donald Smith, who will talk about the secrets of deep value investing. Next week, my guest will be David McIlvaney. He's the president of the McIlvaney Financial Companies and McIlvaney Wealth Management. And also, I would urge you to go to jtaylormedia.com to listen to the honest and objective view of what is actually happening in the Ukraine, as opposed to the propaganda you are fed day in and day out from our corporate-controlled media and the military-industrial complex here in the United States. Daniel McAdams is providing a weekly update at jtaylormedia.com. And, of course, you are encouraged to go to the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity website uh, for a view of, uh, of peace and how it's possible and a free market, um, free market ideas about how the world would be a much better place if we, uh, if we stopped all this fascist activity fascist government economics that is being practiced in America now. I would also strongly suggest that you should go to Jay Taylor Media to hear my most recent interview with David Jensen, who will talk more about the uh, paper gold markets. It is really a fraud that has been perpetrated in the United States and in England and throughout the Western world. And uh, also how you just simply can't trust the gold price that is quoted every day. That is really, a, uh, I, I think, a real travesty. You need to realize that gold is much more valuable than what it is being quoted at. There are some very big things taking place now uh, by countries that are sick and tired of being abused by the U.S. monetary printing scam that was made possible by Nixon when he unilaterally destroyed the gold-backed international monetary system back in 1971. And that gave, really before that, all nations pretty much on an equal playing field. But now that the United States can print money and then use that, to build up its military and take over countries is, uh, well, as we knock on the door of Russia and China, uh, not surprisingly, we're seeing some very strong resistance. Uh, David Jensen will talk also about what is happening. He'll, he'll talk about the Ukraine and uh, some of the glowing, growing closeness of relationships between China, Russia, and India. All are part of the bigger picture, David believes, 
as those countries try to retain their sovereignty against the onslaught of the Anglo-American Empire. Folks, this is really important stuff, so I do hope that you'll go to J. Taylor Media to hear the latest from both Daniel McAdams and David John, uh, David Jensen. In closing, I want to thank Tracy Trump, my producer, and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. And thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF.